Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics and racial capitalism, and also the beauty of resistance? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the Faith Organizing Coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith that is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. So with this episode, we are beginning a whole new series on the podcast, this time on disability justice. We're going to be exploring the Luke texts in the lectionary through that framework, the framework of disability justice, from now until mid-October. We're going to be asking questions like, what can we learn about these stories by centering disability justice as our interpretive lens? What can we learn as white Christians about how ableism, in the texts themselves as well as in how the texts have been used and interpreted, what can we learn about how they hold, uh, uphold white supremacy? and about how centering disability justice is key to collective liberation. We also want to name how white imperial Christianity has constructed and upheld ableism and how whiteness and white Christianity are in themselves disabling. And also we want to remember mutual interest, the series we just finished. What's at stake for us as white Christians by centering disability justice? The disability justice framework invites us to look at these texts, many of which are healing stories, from lots of angles and intersections, such as disability justice and abolition, disability justice and economic justice, and race, capitalist productivity, trauma, etc. We have four months to explore as much as we can. So here's what we mean by disability justice. Many of you may be familiar with terms like disability rights or accessibility. Disability justice is a much broader multi-issue movement that centers those most impacted by disability, especially queer, trans, and non-binary disabled people of color, to transform social conditions, not simply to seek access to what already exists. Disability rights seeks to address symptoms, while disability justice transforms root conditions. As our Surge Disability Justice co-coordinator Micah Peace told us in our podcast, uh, told our podcast crew, disability rights asks for a ramp in a building, 
Disability Justice asks why buildings aren't already built with ramps. It asks why we have jobs making money off our bodies. I highly recommend getting the Sins Invalid Disability Justice Primer, Skin, Tooth, and Bone, to ground you and your community as we work through this series together. In their section, What is Disability Justice?, they say, Disability justice activists, organizers, and cultural workers understand that able-bodied supremacy has been formed in relation to other systems of domination and exploitation. The histories of white supremacy and ableism are inextricably entwined, created in the context of colonial conquest and capitalist domination. One cannot look at the history of U.S. slavery, the stealing of indigenous lands, and U.S. imperialism without seeing the way that white supremacy uses ableism to create a lesser other group of people that is deemed less worthy, abled, smart, or capable. A single-issue civil rights framework is not enough to explain the full extent of ableism and how it operates in society. We can only truly understand ableism by tracing its connections to heteropatriarchy, white supremacy, colonialism, and capitalism. That sends invalid. This is the framework we'll be working from for this series, and the podcast crew is super excited to, to, to explore this together with you over the next four months. And now, as we take a music break here, I invite you, as you're able, to take some breaths to ground you and send some love to your beautiful body, your beautiful mind, and your beautiful heart. I mentioned that many of the Luke texts over the next few months are healing stories, and this very first one is no exception. To start us off, we get the rather famous story of the Gerasene demoniac. The story goes like this. This is from Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And Jesus stepped as Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, 
They ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. When I signed up for this week's episode to start off our Disability Justice series, I didn't realize this was the Gospel reading. I actually did this same lectionary Sunday three years ago, June 23rd, 2019, when we were last in this cycle. In that episode, called Getting Liberated from Legion, I did a lot of work unpacking for us all the imagery and language about the Roman occupying armies being used in the story. I highly suggest you check out that episode because I'm going to build off that work that I did there for this episode, which you may have noticed I've called Getting Liberated from Legion again. I'll link that episode in the transcript and you can also find it on our website and other episode listings where you find our podcast. In the meantime, I want to summarize some key points from what I learned doing that episode in 2019, because they're also key points for helping us learn disability justice justice lessons from this text. I want us to remember that the use of legion and pigs and herd intentionally set the context of this person's suffering in the violence of Roman imperial occupation. A legion, of course, refers to 5,000 Roman troops, and Roman legions both controlled through violence the border between Judea and the Decapolis, where Gerasa is, and also controlled through violence Judea and Galilee, which is to say Jesus and his people. Pigs were the favorite food of Roman legions, and troops which were sometimes called by the Greek slang word Luke uses that gets translated here as herd. And the pig was the symbol of the infamous 10th Fratensis legion that existed to crush Jewish resistance in Judea and Galilee, putting down the Jewish revolt of 6 CE, yes, during Jesus' childhood, and participating in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. The 10th Fratensis took over Jerusalem then and stayed in Judea for the next century and a half, which is to say while most of the New Testament is being written, including Luke. Their pig symbol was found on what was left of Jerusalem's buildings after the 10th uh, Fratensis destroyed the city. As I said in 2019, all of these layers of meaning, along with other military verbs like Jesus giving permission to the pigs and the pigs rushing into the sea, should be telling us this is a very charged story. There is more going on here than simply a man possessed of many demons being healed. If that were all this story is, why would the storytellers, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, use the word legion when they could have just used some form of multi, also Latin, for many? Instead, they use words that had to provoke terror and trauma for the audience as the result of their experiencing this same imperial violence. 
as we hold this context of violence, this context of terror, terror and trauma, I also want to share a couple of things our Surge Disability Justice, uh, Surge Disability Justice co-coordinators shared with our podcast crew. Micah told us, disability does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in a context. And Amanda Stahl, our other uh, co-coordinator, told us, what in our structure is disabling us? White supremacy, capitalism, the pace of work, those things are disabling us. Classism disables us. If we don't speak the right way, we get sent to special ed. Our world is the problem, not God or Jesus. The structures that humans have made are the problem. Disability happens in a context. Our world is the problem, not God or Jesus. And the context of this person's disability is Roman military violence that crushes resistance. He is not literally possessed by 5,000 Roman troops. He is possessed by legion, which is to say he is possessed by the traumatic impact of legion's violence. He is, in essence, disabled by legion's violence. Whatever impairment his trauma is causing, it is caused by the systematic oppression of the Roman Empire. His world, the oppressive structures Rome made, are the problem. And the problem includes how he's treated by his community when the legion seizes him. And we don't really know what this means, that the legion seizes him, but anyone here who deals with PTSD might have some guesses. One of my guesses is a mental health crisis, which my own PTSD has caused in me. Anyway, when Legion seizes him, his community shackles him, and he's kept under guard, which is a phrase Luke uses to describe Roman imprisonment. They don't actually try to help him or even accompany him in his crisis. Rather, his crisis is essentially criminalized, and he is isolated from his community. His disability is criminalized and he is targeted for even more violence via shackles and guards. With this perspective, I'm not even sure now if the man's lack of clothing in a house are actually part of whatever it means for him that Legion seizes him. That is, are they a symptom of his impairment or are they the result of his criminalization and isolation? Maybe it's both, but it's important for us to wrestle with this question because the double impacts of the trauma of state violence and the trauma of community response to disability are not much different today. As Sins Invalid points out, disabled people are vastly more likely to be targeted by police violence, especially if they are black or brown, houseless, or dealing with mental illness. And also, we can look at our own responses to how we treat disabled folks, how our first impulse on encountering a houseless person or someone experiencing a mental health crisis is to want to call the cops so the person can be shackled and guarded and isolated away from us, either in jail or a psychiatric facility. Disability justice asks us to look at all of these conditions of what it means to be possessed by legion, to be traumatized or impaired by living under a systemic oppression, to be traumatized and impaired by the community's violent responses, and to address those root conditions as part of the collective struggle towards liberation. 
So let's see what Jesus does with all that. Before we talk about Jesus's response, though, I want to talk a little more about this uh, man who is possessed or seized by legion. Micah Peace told us these healing stories are often framed as being made whole, but we are already whole. Rather than being redeemed or made whole, it's Christ seeing wholeness in this person already and being willing to witness and engage with them in ways others were not. So I've been thinking since then about how this man, possessed by legion, impaired by the violence of Rome, is in fact already whole before Jesus ever orders the pigs into the sea. I see the man's wholeness in how he routinely fights for his own dignity by breaking out of his shackles towards freedom in how he finds safety for himself in the wilds and in the tombs, and in how he demands that Jesus treat him with respect and dignity, how he demands that Jesus not torment him, perhaps like how his community has tormented him with shackles and guards. The man needs relief, the man needs healing, but he is already whole. He knows he is worthy of dignity. And I agree with Micah, I think Jesus knows this because he treats this man in ways his community has not. For one thing, he doesn't torment him. I mean, let's be honest, it would be unsettling to have a naked guy come up to you and start shouting right after you got off your boat. And yet, Jesus treats him with dignity, honoring his demand to not be further tormented, to not be further traumatized. So Jesus doesn't try to chain the guy up. He doesn't try to call the guards. He asks him his name. And then Jesus liberates him from legion, which is to say he frees him from the originating violent condition of Roman imperial violence. Jesus does what disability justice asks us to do, to address the root conditions of disability as part of the collective struggle towards liberation. And the root condition in this story is legion. The problem is not that there is something wrong with the man or that he is broken or needs redemption or that he's sinful, which is often how we read these stories about demons. No, whatever happens to him when he is seized by legion is a normal and predictable impact of violence on the human body, mind, and spirit. I remember once a former friend told me my hypervigilance in the streets, the result of trauma by police violence, was because there was something wrong with me, that I was broken somehow. And I carried a lot of shame that I couldn't get over it, and I should have been healed already. And then I got a really good therapist. I remember my total, utter relief when she told me I wasn't broken. That hypervigilance was a normal and predictable impact of the violence that had been done to me. 
I had been made disabled by state violence, but I was not broken. And she told me that in some ways the hypervigilance was a gift when I was at Actions because it meant I knew what to watch for and how to keep my people safe. And she gave me tools for helping me find safety when hypervigilance seized me in ways that were less helpful. I cried in her office because my therapist saw me as whole. She liberated me from Legion that day. And that's what we need to do for each other because let's get real, Legion didn't just suddenly cease to exist just because Jesus ran them off into the sea. The question for us becomes, how do we hold one another and care for one another and liberate one another from Legion while Legion still rails around us? How do we respond to the violence Legion does to us without shackling and guarding and isolating each other? Jesus shows us a way. Jesus says, I see you as whole. I want to know your name. I see the impact Legion has had on you. I'll work to change the conditions that allow Legion's domination and create new conditions where we can all thrive. And go home, beloved, and share what God has done here because I see you have gifts to contribute to build that world. Sins Invalid says, Disability justice holds a vision born out of a collective struggle, drawing upon legacies of cultural and spiritual resistance. Within a thousand underground paths, we ignite small, persistent fires of rebellion in everyday life. That's what Jesus did that day. That's what it means to get liberated from Legion. For your call to action this week, I want to invite you to dig in more with the disability justice framework. I will have links in the transcript and on our social media for some of these. um, Well, all the links in the transcript, some of them on social media. But some suggestions for where to start include, as I've mentioned, the Sins Invalid Disability Justice uh, Primer and their 10 Principles of Disability Justice. Surge also has resources on disability justice on our website. Um, one of these is also a broader resource list. And our Surge Faith Abolition uh, Political Ed resource list has a section on disability justice and policing. And there are more disability justice pieces in the Alternatives to Policing section. These pieces in particular where I learned a ton about what disability justice is and what it actually looks like in practice. And finally, um, another recommendation is the piece by um, our Disability Justice Co-Coordinator, Amanda Stahl, White People with Disabilities, We Must Show Up for Black Lives. Links to all those are in the transcript. So collect your people and choose a few of these pieces to start with. Read and reflect together about what you're learning. What are the stories we've been telling ourselves about our bodies? what it means to live and be well. 
What are the implications of disability justice for your own embodied self? What are the implications for your congregation or your community? How does centering disability justice contribute to our collective thriving? Thanks as always from joining us from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks, by filling out the listener survey on our podcast page at surge.org. And give us a like and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. And we'll be back next week with a resistance word from Reverend Sarah Howell Miller. And of course, a huge thanks to our sound editor, Jordan Perry. So happy to have you on the team, Jordan. I also want to thank Micah Peace and Amanda Stahl, our uh, disability justice co-coordinators, who, I'm, as I mentioned, met with us last week to get us really grounded in this framework and to answer our questions as we start this series. They are a gift to Surge and to our movement, and we're so grateful for the time and wisdom they shared with us. And finally, in the spirit of disability justice, I want to tell you that I'm going on sabbatical in July and August, so I won't be back with you until this fall. I'm really grateful Surge gives staff this time for deep rest, and I'm super thankful to Nicola Torbett for holding all the podcast work while I'm away. You will all be in good hands together. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until this fall, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap.